To hire drivers, you've got to work fast and smart. Did you know Driver Pulse, a driver-facing mobile app from 10th Street, is two to three times more effective than texting and four to five times more effective than email at getting drivers to respond? Driver Pulse is the largest source of free driver applications in trucking, downloaded by almost two million drivers to find jobs, complete training, and communicate with carriers. Companies find who they're looking for, and drivers find their homes with Driver Pulse from 10th Street a name you trust. That's 10street.com, T-E-N-street.com. Welcome back to another edition of Check Call. Today, we're covering all things warehouse management. Don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter on FreightWaves.com if you haven't already. Today, we are joined by Joe Oliero, Chief Real Estate Officer at Wagner Logistics. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks for having me, Mary. Excited to be here. I'm very excited to have this. Warehousing is something that something that we haven't really touched on that much on the show. So I'm excited to get into it today with you. But before we get too far into it, why don't you give us some background and kind of how you started at Wagner? Sure. I, you know, I think anybody that that comes into supply chain from from another realm is usually an innocent bystander that gets uh <laughs> It gets brought in unknowingly, and uh, it, to to some degree, that's that's how I got brought into a, a supply chain role here at Wagner. But no, uh, in all seriousness, I I I was a consultant, a real estate consultant for Wagner for a little over a decade, um, and had always kind of been at an arm's length and was curious how the sausage was made, and and. Uh, uh, now I'm in the middle of all that sausage making, and it is has been fantastic. Um, now Wagner's Wagner's in a great place. We're partnered with private equity uh, that's really horsepower behind our growth. Um, and I guess um, you know my real estate role uh, is also accompanied with a sales role, and um, also handle all the marketing for for Wagner as well. But no great great relationship with with the executive team at Wagner and uh, that's kind of how I got brought in uh and it's been a lot of fun I've been there for I think three and a half years now so being a jack of all trades and haphazardly falling into a career for a logistics company yeah sounds like anyone that has a career in supply chain <laughs> so anybody that can solve problems is 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 ready to go they're 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 right right for the picking Exactly. Anyone who's a problem solver, oh, buddy, do we have some problems for you to solve over here in the supply chain? That's right. So uh, one of the things that we've seen in the news, um, you know, endlessly for the last two years is that there's like 2% warehouse space across the country. There's no room for warehousing. People are just leaving trailers and yards because it's like a pseudo warehouse. Do you ever think we'll return to a time where, you know, we have kind of that normal level of vacancy, or maybe we'll get up to like 6% vacancy in a warehouse. Do you think we'll ever return back to that? I do. I do think we will. I think it's going to be a while um, for a couple different reasons. And um, let me think about how I want to answer that question fully. The So um, right now, we're seeing a, uh, an up, uptick in onshoring coming back to the U.S. Uh, another factor, so I'm going to kind of summarize these factors and then bring it all together for you. Um, so we've got onshoring coming back to North America. We've got developers 
who are cutting their industrial uh, pipeline of development activity for big box industrial real estate. They're cutting that pipeline in half. And so we're seeing a drastic downtick in uh, industrial building and construction activity, and mainly because interest rates, inflation, lead time on materials, and frankly, the cost of steel and other materials to build those buildings. Um, and then you have imports down from China, 25%, uh, which means, you know, we're starting to look at Mexico. We're starting to look at other folks to import products from. And so when you bring all those together, you, you know, we, we have tight vacancy now it's going to get tighter for a little bit. And then people are going to start building again and you'll see a year or so where it's, you know, Hey, we've got vacancy or, Hey, we've, um, we've got product on the market that that's, that's uh, ready to go. And you're not seeing that in the inland empire. I don't think you'll ever see that in on the East or West coast. I think from here on out, you're going to see tight vacancy, uh, across the, you know, on, on either coast. It's, it's really the Midwest region that has all this great open landscape to, uh, to, to build, to build buildings with. And, um, I think that's where you're going to see a lot of resurgence in um, in vacancy in those uh, Midwestern markets. The Midwest will rise again. You know, the the Midwest is just kind of seeming to be a lot of the solution to people. I mean, we've seen uh, multiple rail companies make Mexico to Midwest hubs. Like, let's give the Midwest some credit. We're pretty cool here. Sure, we have corn sweat, but we're pretty cool. That's right. For the record, corn sweat is just when it gets so hot that the corn evaporates or like gets put off so much moisture that it like raises your heat index like by 20 and makes it so humid. So it's pretty terrible. I'm not going to lie, but we're done with it. So, yay, no more corn sweat this year. Hopefully, hopefully anyway. We touched on it a little bit, but, you know, where we have this really high capacity problem in the warehouse where, you know, the coasts are just like, LOL, what is space? Um, but customer demands are starting to change. So we saw the influx of everything when people were sitting at home buying things. And now, you know, consumer demand has switched over to goods and, or um, to services and experiences over over goods. Um, do you kind of see as we move into the rest of the, the, the year, um, do you see that these changes in de customer demand and spending, do you think that will really start affecting warehousing? Or do you think it's kind of that break that warehousing needs to kind of deplenish the inventory and maybe re-level set for 2024. Yeah, I think we're coming off of the pandemic where a lot of these companies had a knee-jerk reaction. They saw a 30% uptick in all their consumer online activity, and you're seeing more of that settling. Like there's been, the habits have, have gone into place. We've seen the way consumers buy now and that 30% demand is falling back a little bit. So now you've got procurement officers and pro senior buyers that are talking with business units within these Fortune 500 companies that make all these commoditized high products. And now they want to know, okay, well, what's next? Or where does this settle? And a lot of these companies are taking a wait and see approach, or they're saying, hey, we're going to deal with this until we can adequately forecast what's going on or 
the rental rates are so high, there's no way we can justify putting in a central TC in the Midwest to justify this because the storage rates are just too high and uh, we, we can't expand just yet. So we're seeing a wait and see approach from the companies themselves, mainly because the consumer behavior hasn't settled on a final track yet. And especially uh, given that some student loan repayments are coming back, I think everyone's just kind of waiting and seeing what everybody's doing because um, everybody's like, no, it's, it's fine. It's totally fine. We're returning to normal. Well, also, in a very other real way, we are not returning to normal. I'm just going to kind of wait and see what happens here in the next few months. I think everybody's waiting on a, stimuli, a stimulus check, right? They're, 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 they feel like they're due for a stimulus check. Oh, that would be the dream, man. That was the best part of uh, the like original six week lockdown. You just stay at home, watch Joe Exotic and get some money. It was a great time. I know, right? But <laughs> away from the pandemic, um, one of the things that we're seeing in warehousing is, you know, the rise of autonomy, um, robotics and everything like that with the rise of this happening and, you know, a pretty... I don't want to say low barrier to entry, but it's easier to get these things in place in a warehouse now and with not as much upfront capital. And especially because you see that return on investment so quickly. What do you kind of perceive as the human labor role in warehousing over the next few years as all of this autonomous technology comes through? And, you know, we've started, we've already seen warehouses that uh, are basically like completely dark and it's just a robot picking everything. So what does it look like for humans in warehouses? So continues to be an evolution, obviously, uh, you know, a few years ago, I think robotics and automation only encompassed roughly 5% of the, of the warehousing market. Um, but we're having a lot more conversations around automation, um, and, uh, robots these days. Uh, and I think a big part of that is because you have, you've had this escalating rate of labor going up and, and a lot of 3PLs like like Wagner and some of our competitors had planned for five, six percent escalation in labor rates. And what we've actually seen over the last few years is like eight to ten percent. So at some point that labor gets is a is a high enough cost that you have to really bring in robotics and automation to stymie or put some kind of ceiling on how much labor you can pay for in a warehouse. And once those two lines cross on, on that, on that graph, uh, you begin having real conversations around robotics. Um, for instance, in our Monroe facility in Mon Monroe, Louisiana, uh, we, we got to a point where, uh, our customer didn't want us to raise, uh, wages any further. And so we said, okay, well, if we can't raise wages, uh, then we have to put in some kind of automation. And so we began doing cycle counting, which is really just a, a quick snapshot of inventory periodically, either daily or throughout the week. Um, and we started using a drone that flies up, takes pictures of all the different pallets in, in racking, and then tells us what errors there are. And before doing that, we would have to send somebody on a scissor lift or on a forklift up and down this aisle, checking every single box, uh, or every single pallet, which, you know, takes forever and you have to pay for that labor 
now the robot or the drone goes up, checks everything, and then all the employee has to do now is check the errors that came across so that they're only checking the the uh, the pallets that came across as maybe a, an error or didn't show up. And, you know, it's a fraction of the amount of time that, that they wouldn't spend beforehand. Yeah, I think I like that, that process. I feel that when it comes to automating things, you know, you don't have to have, you don't have to just show up on a Tuesday and be like, well, the warehouse is all robots now. So everybody have a nice day. It's those small steps that you can take that improve that because I'm sure the person on the scissor lift wasn't their favorite job to go up there and count and see any boxes or any pallets that had errors on them. And now to only have to work the exceptions saves so much time versus having someone in because inevitably it ends up being a two person job because you can't really, you know, move a scissor lift alone. You need another person. So I like that. I like those kind of swaps like we've seen with thought, excuse me, we've seen with autonomous yard vehicles that, um, you know, they're the ones bringing trailers around. And I like that because it takes that mundane task that, you know, you don't necessarily like you don't have to spend human capital to do that when they could do something else that's so much more worth their time and worth the effort. That, you know, it is harder to automate something like that. But if you can have a yard, like an autonomous yard jockey, drive a trailer five miles an hour through a closed fenced in yard, it's pretty, that's pretty, it's pretty nice because then you don't have to have someone running around doing things. And then the the human part can do the things that are harder to automate. And I just, though that's the kind of stuff that I love in warehouse technology. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the robots that can work in the dark and pick an entire load by themselves, but that's not necessarily approachable and reasonable for everyone to to manage, you know? Absolutely. I, I think um, to your point, you know, it's also everybody who talks about like ESG and part of that uh, social aspect of ESG is also making it more enjoyable for the employee themselves. Um, and so when you when you take out what has traditionally been the hardest part of working in a warehouse, which is getting up there, moving heavy boxes, you know, it makes that role more engaging and more technical. So now you're a technician that's working with automation um, and makes your life easier as an employee, which makes, you know, makes it uh, ultimately more enjoyable. Uh, And we've even gone so far as to partner with a, a group called variable and they, uh, they help us, um, with temporary labor, but it's, it's gig focused. So the, the folks that come in from this group, they rate us as an employer, we get to rate them back. Um, uh, I, I'm happy to say that we are five stars up to this point. So I, I haven't checked recently, but I, I believe we are still rated at five stars. Um, but anyway, there's, there's a common rating system. They come and if they want to come in and drive a forklift uh, on a Thursday for four hours, that's what they do. And you know, for people that that want that kind of role, they get a lot more enjoyment out of having that level of control over their over their role and when they work, rather than saying, "No, you have to be here from eight to five, or you have to work second shift from you know until ten o'clock at night." I absolutely love that because. You know, it's no secret that finding labor and qualified labor in a warehouse and getting them to keep coming back is one of arguably the harder things to do. Um, and so I like that, that it's just kind of like, a 
you know, we've got some time. If you want to come load some trucks, stage some loads, we'd love to have you. If not, that's fine. We'll we'll see you when you want to come um, because I feel like that's the best part of just, you know, meeting people where they are. And, you know, if they can just commit to coming in for a couple hours on Thursday as well, cool. Then we'll see you on Thursdays. We'll see you when your schedule allows and you still have everyone else there. But sometimes it's nice to have those extra set of hands as you get them. Um, also, look at you guys flexing with your fighter. For now, anyway, yeah, I'm sure something will come up and we'll get a bad review. But that's, but but uh, but no, we've had we've had good success so far. Everybody seems very very eager to get in. Yeah, I like to think that you guys wouldn't have a bad review if you've made it this long with five stars. But you never know when you meet someone on a bad day. Right, right. It's, it all depends on the day, right? You give somebody autonomy to 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 just pick four or five stars, and they'll do it. They'll do whatever they're feeling in that moment. So the it's so like you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, and that's that competition among other three PLs and you know people doing warehousing and logistics. How do you kind of think that people are gonna? Um, what are I'm sorry. What are some of the issues and you know the strategies that people are gonna have to start adapting um, to become you know maintain that strategic edge and make sure that they are still able to you know run an efficient warehouse and. Um, you know, not come into too many problems that we're going to start seeing here is, you know, we return that status quo. We're more in that line of, um, you know, less of, oh my gosh, how fast can we just move things through? And we're moving more towards that. How efficient can we be? How can we maximize our time, our people? What are some of these issues and uh, strategies people are going to start adapting? The best way to understand what costs are are, or I guess where costs are that can be shaved down is to understand the data itself. Um, we work with a lot of customers that don't want to manage their own inventory or just frankly aren't very good at it. Uh, and that's where we come in to say, okay, well, we understand all the costs that go into this warehouse. We know what, what typically it requires to run an operation. And here's where you can you know, shave some costs down, whether that's consolidation through LTL or if it's, you know, uh, redundant movements in a warehouse that can be, um, that can be uh, addressed through automation or robotics. There's, there's, but it all requires a partnership. And that's, that's why the third party logistics industry, or at least contract warehousing is evolving from, hey, I've got these uh, products that I need to store month to month to, hey, I really need to have a good, succinct solution for this. We understand, you know, they, they continue to raise the bar. And so you, you, the expectations are so much higher than they were a few years ago that a public warehouse just doesn't offer the savings or the uh, level of service that a contract warehousing group can today. And so through those partnerships, you're seeing uh, a real evolution and, and, and really more motivation from the service providers to make a better service. I like the, it's everything lately when we've been talking about different problems in the supply chain, everything, it all comes back to those partnerships and those relationships. And I think that, you know, at the base, like that's mostly what comprises supply chain is you are trusting other people. If you're a shipper, you're trusting carriers or you're trusting your 3PL or freight broker to get your goods in the hands of your consumer and your consumer is trusting the manufacturer that they've made a quality product. And 
I really do like that it's come back to that partnerships and everyone has to ultimately end up working together um, to create a successful supply chain. Because truly without one part of it, you're not going to have a strong supply chain. It's going to be weak and likely to break, you know? Absolutely. We are running out of time, but there is a question that everyone that comes on the show has to answer. And I'm very excited to hear your answer. Are you ready for it? Believe so, yes. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Okay, so yes. Hot dog is a sandwich. You have meat. You have meat, right? You have meat, you have bread. Now, where I fell a little short on this, or I guess where I had my hesitation was, typically you need two pieces of bread. A bun is not always two pieces of bread. It just kind of sits there, you know, a little cradle for, for the meat. So, but... It's more than halfway cut. So I'm going to say a hot dog is definitely a sandwich, even if it's just the dog and the butt, 100%. Okay. I I respect where you're coming from. I do not agree, but that's okay. You know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Um, I am team it's not a sandwich because you go to a deli and you don't ask for a hot dog sandwich. Um, but I like your, I like your theory because it's more than halfway cut. It's not fully cut, but you know, it works. Okay. Real quick. I have to give my mom a shout out. When I was a kid, she would make me a hot dog sandwich. And because she didn't want me to choke, she would cut the hot dog in half and she would get two pieces of wheat bread, just wheat bread. It's disgusting by the way. Um, and she would put the hot dog in the sandwich and that was my hot dog sandwich. So so cheers to you, Charlotte. So in that instance, especially with that background, I guess that that would be a hot dog is a sandwich for you. Um, also, way to go, mom, making sure nobody chokes on a hot dog. We love we love safety. You know, it's good time. Yeah. So if anyone wants to reach out to you about your hot dog sandwiches, maybe get your mom's recipe for a hot dog sandwich or talk to you about anything warehousing, where can they find you outside the show? Uh, you can find us. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Wagner also has a, a page on LinkedIn. You can find us at online at uh, wagnerlogistics.com um, or wherever good warehousing services are provided. Awesome. Well, you guys heard it here first. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Mary. This has been fun. Find check all the podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Don't forget to check out all the other incredible FreightWaves podcasts, such as Point of Sale and truck tech. Don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter on freightwaves.com slash check call. See you on the internet.